Kia ora and welcome to Jules from NZ, a weekly podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Hello and welcome back to all of you for Jules from NZ. Today we're doing a Patreon topic request and we're going to talk about New Zealand's great explorer, beekeeper, thrillanthropist, however you say that, knight, Sir Edmund Percival Hillary. You know, maybe the best known New Zealander ever, but so much isn't known. So let's knock the bastard off. Treasures from the vault. Okay, it's a tough climb ahead of us with so much to tell you about Sir Ed's life achievements. So, whoo, and I've never really done a talk about a person's life before. So let's just start from the beginning. So Edmund Percival Hillary was born on the 20th of July, 1919 in Auckland, New Zealand. He was a small, shy kid with a huge desire for adventure. He read books about mountains and the Antarctic on long train rides to school. He took some boxing in college and a bit of a growth spurt made him a bit taller. He actually gained some self-confidence. And then at 16, he fell in love on a school trip up to Mount Uropehu. Yep, that being with the mountain, of course. He tried university for a few years, but ended up actually working in the family's beekeeping business with his brother and his father. He was still heading up the mountain quite a lot to climb and adventure whenever he could, also joining a tramping club to get better at like carrying a pack and fitness and stuff. And in 1939, he made his first modest ascent up Mount Olivia, which is only like... 1,933 meters or 1.2 miles for you over there, which definitely fueled the passion further. Before 1946, he was climbing and increasing in fitness and enthusiasm. But that year, he met Harry Ayres, probably the most talented mountain guide of his generation, at least in New Zealand. And under Harry, Ed became one of the best climbers in the country, climbing 16 of the 34 peaks of the Southern Alps over his career. With a side mission kind of slightly there in 1944 where Ed joined the Royal New Zealand Air Force um, as a navigator and was posted in 1945 to Fiji. He was actually badly burnt in a boating accident in the Solomon Islands but after a fast recovery and the end of the war he was back in New Zealand to continue climbing and working with bees once more. In 1951, Ed and his friend and fellow climber George Lowe, with two other New Zealand climbers, Earl Ritterford and Ed Cotter, were actually invited by the legendary Eric Shipton to be part of the first all-New Zealand Himalayan expedition. Ed proved his worth and fitness levels, and they petitioned to join the British expedition to Mount Everest. Only two spots were available, so only Ed Hillary and Earl Ritterford made the cut, much to the disgust of George Lowe. Ritterford and Hillary rushed off to join Shipton's team in Nepal and headed into the Kumbu, and I'm, I apologize for that description, uh, pronunciation, but I couldn't find any online. Anyway, the Kumbu region, home to the steep and dangerous Kumbu Icefall, and it wasn't exactly going to be simple. 
While Hillary and Shipton sussed it out, they actually spotted a route and forced it through. Hillary being a super key part of that success. So with them during this time was that other soon-to-be-famous name, the shipper Tenzing Norgay. They got closer than the British had ever done before with nearly 6,000 metres or 6,500 yards of the total 888, oh my god, 8,848 metres total that is the tip of Mount Everest. They knew this was a route to the top and they planned to come back again in a few years for another attempt. See, they had to wait because at this time the Himalayan government only allowed one attempt a year. So in the meantime, the race was on, right? The Swiss in 1952 got really close, nearly successful themselves, getting to 8,600 metres. So close! But in 1953, the British were back, this time with Colonel John Hunt in the lead, who applied military-style planning to that task. Ed was back with his old friend, George Lowe, his newer climbing partner, Tenzing Norgay, along with Tom Bordillon and Charles Evans. George Lowe pioneered a new path to the camp on the south face. Then Tom and Charles set off for the top. Yep, that's right. Ed nearly wasn't the first to the summit. Tom and Charles nearly reached the top before oxygen issues made them turn around and come back. A decision that Tom says he has always regretted. So Ed and Tenzing set off three days later. By 9am on May 29th, they'd reached the South Summit, where T Charles and Tom had actually reached. They were stumped briefly by the rock pillar in front of them, until Ed dug in his axe and chimneyed up the rock and a ridge of ice adjacent, wiggling up to the top of the mountain. Later, this rocky barrier would actually become known as the Hillary Step. So at 11.30am on May 29th, 1953, the two men stood on the highest point on earth. After 12 attempts since 1921, a New Zealander and a Sherpa were the first two to stand on the summit of Mount Everest. An enormous achievement of good teams and planning and determination. They shook hands and embraced at the top and after 15 minutes of enjoying the moment, returned to camp. And when he saw his fellow Kiwi George, he said the now infamous words, well, George, we knocked the bastard off. His life changed forever after that day. A few days later, the world had heard, and the Queen wanted to give him a knighthood, something amazing that he did soon after they got back, as everyone was clamouring to know if it was Tenzing or Ed who set foot up there first. He made a vow to never say. He said until the end that they did it together, although we now know, through Tenzing himself actually, that it was in fact Ed that was first. They did lectures worldwide and they attended many formal events after returning with a knighthood to New Zealand to propose to the love of his life, but not directly, he was too shy for that. He actually asked her mother and she sorted it out. Kind of hilarious. But despite that, on 3rd of September 1953, Ed married Louise Rose in a fairy tale wedding. They had three children over the years, Peter, Sarah and Belinda. Still a beekeeper during this time, he was also very involved in various explorations and climbing expeditions. It's just that his brother was keeping the business afloat. In 1955, the Rossi Committee asked Hillary to lead the New Zealand contingent of the Commonwealth Trans-Antarctic Expedition, laying depots for the British adventurer Vivian 
Fuchs, who was to make the first crossing of Antarctica. He helped establish Shackleton Base and the Weddell Sea during the Antarctic summer that year. The next Antarctic summer, he established Scott Base on Ross Island. And then over the winter, he laid fuel depots for Vivian Fuchs' party to make the crossing. Obviously, none of this by himself. He was just leading the teams to make it happen. Then, on the 26th of December, 1957, there was a radio message from Ed. We are heading hell-bent for the pole, God willing and crevasses permitting. It caused an uproar, of course. He reached the South Pole on the 4th of January, 1958, 16 days ahead of the party that was supposed to be making the attempt. This, of course, endeared him further to Kiwis, who love a pl- you know, plucky, feisty, underdog fighter. See the world's fastest Indian for more evidence of that. Other people, mainly the British, did not find this <laughs> quite as amusing. And his story gets better yet. How, I hear you asked. He's like, you know, conquering the Poles and he's conquering Everest. Well, get this. In 1960, he went searching for the mythical Yeti. <laughs> yes, I mean the fabled abominable snowman. Well, I mean, technically it was part of the Himalayan scientific and mountaineering expedition to study effects of high altitude on the body. Ed tried to do an oxygen-free climb of Makalu and it did not go well. But while he was there, he was looking for evidence of the mythical Yeti. So that is true. Um, he suffered altitude sickness while he was up there and it pretty much put an end to his high altitude climbing from then as he had trouble acclimating from then. Um, I took more about that later. So while he was there anyway, the Sherpa people of the Kumba region of Nepal told him that they wanted a school. Ed was like, that makes sense, right? So he applied to British Mount Everest Foundation to help and he knew they had the funds to do it, but they said no. He later wrote about this, as the Sherpas have done so much for the British Himalayan expeditions, I considered this a miserable response and still have not forgiven them. Pretty fair too, Ed. After getting that note, Ed turned around and in true Kiwi spirit, just raised the money himself, establishing the Himalayan Trust and supervised the building of the Kumjun School. Over successive decades, the Himalayan Trust built schools, airfields, bridges, hospitals, and clinics in Nepal. It also restored Buddhist monasteries, including the famed Tengbok Monastery, after it burnt down in January 1989. He never did what he thought they needed. He only ever did things he was asked to do directly by the Sherpas, who called Hillary Bura Saheb, meaning big in heart. He always said that the work he did for them was the most important and meaningful work of his life. And this charity continues to support the region today through his children, which is pretty cool. His adventurous ways continued in other ways while he did this work. Hillary returned to Antarctica in 1967, leading a team that made the first ascent of Mount Herschel. In 1968, Hillary traversed the wild rivers of Nepal on a jet boat. In 1971, he completed a grand traverse of Aoraki, or Mount Cook, at the age of 52, and three years later made the first ascent of Troglodyte Peak in Fiordland with his son, Peter, which pretty much ended his climbing career. But then tragedy struck. 
On the 31st of March 1975, a plane crash in Nepal killed his wife Louise and their younger daughter Belinda. Hillary fell into a deep depression, drinking, and was out of action for a couple of years before venturing out again. He tried to climb again as the next trip out, taking his son Peter up the Ganges in India to find the sacred source, using New Zealand-made boats, actually made in Hamilton, for the trip. They climbed successfully, but without Ed, as he got hit again by their altitude sickness, which kept him firmly at ground level. Tragedy struck again in 1979, when Hillary's cross friend Peter Mulgrew, who he met during his time in Antarctic, was killed in the very famous in New Zealand Erebus disaster. And I will think about how to cover that one day. Uh, he left behind his widow, Jane Mulgrew, who was also Sir Ed's close friend, and they grew even closer, and he eventually married her in 1989. He tried climbing again in 1981 before he did that to climb the then unclimbed east face of Everest, but another bout of altitude sickness made him realise the days really, really were over. 1985 was an exciting year for Ed because he was asked by Prime Minister David Lange to be New Zealand's ambassador to India. He also found some time for adventure while he was over there, just adventure of a different kind as Hillary and astronaut Neil Armstrong flew a small twin-engine plane to the North Pole. <laughs> what? Um, I, like, honestly, it is super cool. Anyway, so Hillary was the first person to stand at both poles and the summit of Everest, which is also known as the Third Pole. So, pretty sick, really. While he continued to explore the world, even returning to Arctica when he was 87, let's chat about how he was honoured for all that he did while he was alive. So, in 1987, Hillary was inducted. I know, spoilers, right? He dies in the end. Ooh. Anyway, in 1987, Hillary was inducted into the Order of New Zealand, this country's highest honour. In 1992, the New Zealand $5 note featured Sir Edmund Hillary's portrait. Instantly recognisable to every Kiwi anyway, but now even more so. Also making him the only living person, not a head of a state, to appear on a New Zealand note. When he gave his permission for them to do that, he insisted that the mountain behind him be Aoraki, or Mount Cook, the mountain he learnt to climb on rather than Mount Everest, which is kind of cool and very ed. Uh, in 1995, he was appointed to Britain's oldest and highest order of chivalry, being made a knight companion of the most noble order of the Garter. He also received honorary doctorates from universities around the world. In 2002, the Auckland War Memorial Museum displayed its Sir Edmund Hillary Everest and Beyond. Exhibition, exhibition, attracting thousands and thousands of people. Time magazine listed him as one of the most hundred influential people of the 20th century. In 2003, to mark the 50th anniversary of the first successful ascent of Everest, because it has been uh, mounted since then, the Nepalese government conferred honorary citizenship upon Hillary at a special Golden Jubilee celebration in Kathmandu, Nepal. He was the first foreign national to ever receive that honour, which is pretty cool. 
In 2008, New Zealand Post issued a Sir Hetman Hillary commemorative five-stamp series to honour his status and achievements as a true New Zealand hero. He received medals from all sorts of places and there are schools and landmarks named after him all over the world, let alone statues erected in his honour. He was always known for his generosity and patience with the fame that his exploits generated. He was always happy to sign things, speak with the media and mentor the new generation of climbers. He was always bemused by his fame and just considered himself to be a very fortunate person. And he was named New Zealand's most trusted individual because of how down to earth he was. Funny that the man who climbed mountains was so down to earth. His death on the 11th of January 2008 from heart failure at age 88 brought huge sorrow to New Zealanders. His funeral was televised as the whole country and many others worldwide mourned his loss. As his casket was carried from Auckland St Mary Church, Alpine Club members held aloft old-style wood-shafted ice axes as a salute to his passion and flags were lowered to half-mast at here and Antarctic. His ashes were partially scattered in Auckland's Hauraki Gulf as per his desire and the other half sits in a Nepalese monastery near Everest. A plan to scatter them on the summit was cancelled in 2010. So that's our Ed. We're very proud of him and what he achieved in his life. We consider his achievements all of New Zealand's achievements and kind of reminiscent of the people that we are. I hope you've enjoyed meeting the man behind the famous mountain climb. And I hope that that answered all of your questions about our Ed there, Scott. Uh, Scott being the Patreon who specifically asked for this topic. I've enjoyed learning a little bit more about our Ed and meeting the man some more. The music I've selected for you today is another enormous effort by an appropriately named Mountain Boy. In order to make it his first EP, he wrote a track a week for a whole year, 52 tracks, and out of all that effort found some gold. The song I've selected is Brother, a track about being there for others, which seems right for this episode about our lovely Ed. So Anchorites enjoy the snip at the end, and those not listening on Anchor, you'll find this song on the Spotify playlist named Jules from NZ, which I've provided a link to in the episode notes also. Personal thanks to my gems, Lucas, Scott, Glenn, James, and the newest gem, Jason. Jason, you are a star. Thank you very much for joining the Jules gems that allow me to keep doing this crazy thing that I'm doing, which is basically introducing you to New Zealand, uh, one little episode at a time. The next episode will be a glitter episode. That's what I've decided to call my less NZ and more Jules episodes. So if you're interested in hearing on about what's going on in my life, um, give that a listen. Otherwise, I'll see you back here for another Jules from MZ episode where I tell you more about another type of New Zealand snack. So if you're enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on your platform of choice. It all helps. Really, really does. You can come find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at... J-U-L-Z, Jules, Bergeser, B-U-R-G-I-S-S-E-R. So, and nohora, kakite ano, and mwah! See you next time. Bye!